From a health perspective, man, I'll start with Watt. I know there's been a lot of speculation about that. Um, let me say this, man, we're probably in a lot better place than we were after the game, and, and usually that's the case, and that's why I don't always say too much um, after a game, even though there might be speculation out there. Um, I can definitively say that TJ won't play this week, um, but I won't make any commitments beyond that. Um, we're encouraged, and, and we'll just continue to look at the situation and, and gain opinions and do what's appropriate. Great news out of Pittsburgh this week, and although what you just heard from Mike Tomlin, he really didn't elaborate that much on the T.J. Watt injury. Multiple reports, uh, confirmed reports, that T.J. Watt, even though he has a torn pec, uh, it will not require surgery, and he will rehab for four to six weeks and looking for a midseason return uh, to the Steelers team, and that was the best-case scenario that could have happened with that injury. I will fill you in on what I think uh, the Steelers will do uh, without T.J. Watt, uh, plus a preview with their matchup against New England. And then after that, we'll be talking some Penn State football, uh, some fantasy tips for you guys this week, uh, heading to your Week 2 matchups, uh, my best bets of the week, and a lot more coming at you on Montreal Madness. What is up, guys? You are listening to the Montreal Madness Podcast with your host, Tony Montreal. So before we get into the T.J. Watt situation, uh, let me just uh, first off start by saying what a freaking wild and crazy game to start off a new era in Pittsburgh, nevertheless, in 2022 against the reigning AFC champion uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, the Steelers team, they were just so phenomenal on defense. Uh, five takeaways, seven sacks, uh, I believe it was a dozen quarterback hits. That defense was flying around the ball. I've personally never seen a Steelers defense play like that, probably since... Their last Super Bowl win in 2008. Uh, that was as good as you're going to get, allowing only 20 points with your offense playing as shitty as it did. We'll get in that in a little bit. Um, but just the sheer craziness of this game, you couldn't have even scripted it, okay? Like, you know, the Steelers go up uh, by a couple scores, like I said, with all those turnovers. Bengals come back. It looks like they're going to win at the end of regulation. All they need is an extra point. And it gets blocked. Game goes to overtime. And then the Bengals have a chance to win the game in overtime uh, with a 29-yard field goal. What do you know? It gets shanked wide left. And the Steelers, the next drive, find a way to end up beating the Bengals in overtime 23-20. And you know, as Steeler fans, we should be rejoicing. We should be happy as hell. Uh, that the Steelers came away with a win, um, you know, any sort of win against the reigning AFC champions. Uh, you'll take that. But the T.J. Watt injury aside, uh, it was almost a carbon copy of last year in Week 1. You know, if you remember from last year in Week 1, they beat a high-powered offense, a very good team in Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. They played phenomenal defensively. Uh, they played like shit on offense but yet came up with a couple of clutch plays on offense and a fluke, very rare, 
blocked punt return for a touchdown. That's how the Steelers won their week one game last year, and then the wheels just fell off after that, finishing a pedestrian 9-7-1 and getting their ass kicked against the Chiefs in the playoffs. Uh, fast forward to this year, week one, guess what happens? Steelers play lights out on defense, offense is shit, yet they make a couple of plays necessary to win the game, and it took a blocked extra point and a shanked 29-yard field goal attempt to win it. A uh, couple fluky plays, if you ask me, just like last year. However, though, however, this team, I do not think, even with the T.J. Watt injury, will fall um, off the wagon like this team did last year, and here's why. Now, last year, after week one, they, lo- they lost Tyson Alu-Alu, they didn't have a Larry Albonjobi on the line last year because remember Stefan Tuit missed all of last year and then later this offseason announced his retirement from the NFL. Didn't have Miles Jack last year. That um, two middle linebackers Steelers had last year and Showbert and Bush and Spillane, um, you know, throw him in there as well. Uh, they were not good at all. They were just ass. The secondary, uh, because they couldn't stop the run. Uh, because they didn't have enough talent in that secondary unit other than Mika Fitzpatrick. The secondary was ass every time they faced a competable quarterback uh, with a high-powered passing offense. They got shredded. Uh, But this year, though, they get a kill Weatherspoon for a full year. He looked phenomenal on Sunday. Levi Wallace, he looked very exceptional as well uh, last Sunday. Terrell Edmonds actually was a very big surprise for me as well. He played above average uh, last Sunday, and even Devin Bush. I will give credit where credit is due. I know I shit on him in my last episode, rightfully so still in my opinion, but he played very, very well on Sunday, uh, just from top to bottom, from the secondary all the way down to the defensive line. This defense, they looked like a complete... Uh, unit playing together. It wasn't just individuals like T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, and Minka Fitzpatrick making plays. Uh, Yes, they all played a pivotal part in their win Sunday, uh, like they should because they are the Steelers' star players. But in order to be a good defensive unit, uh, you have to have cohesion throughout that group. You have to have chemistry throughout that group. That's what makes great defenses. It's the whole collective unit. It's not just a bunch of individual players making plays. And that's what I saw uh, from that Steelers defense on Sunday. I saw a collective unit making plays. Whenever a player wasn't making a play, he was still influencing that play. Uh, Alex Highsmith, although he got three sacks, career high for him. Um, He's going to need more of that, more of the same for the rest of the season, at least through the halfway point of the season with T.J. Watt out. But there were a few plays as well that I noticed just through watching the game. He didn't have a tackle. He didn't have a sack or anything. But he got enough pressure on Burrow for him to make a mistake. He got enough pressure blowing up runs in the backfield for other guys to make tackles for either behind the line of scrimmage or for a short yard gain. Uh, He was doing that sort of stuff to set up his teammates for success. Um, It was the same thing with uh, Miles Jack and Devin Bush. The same thing in the secondary. That's what I think is the difference between last year and this year. Uh, just the defense as a as a whole unit is just collectively better. Now let's get to the offense, shall we? Just like last year, not just in week one, but through the whole year, they were 
god-awful. They were pedestrian at best. You know, I would have thought with a whole off-season of work, um, with most of your guys healthy throughout all of training camp, throughout all preseason, with the exception of a couple of players like Najee Harris. I understand that he didn't play all through training camp, but he doesn't need really practice. He's a talented young running back. He really doesn't need that those extra reps in training camp. This team had a whole offseason training camp and preseason to put something together um, in week one against the Bengals, and they looked like complete dog water. You know, from the offensive line, looking like complete shit again uh, from the receivers. I mean, I know it's not their fault, but from the receivers running these short, dinky little plays and then going over the top um, down the sideline, um, just like last year. They had just two sets of plays. They had the dink and dunk little shit, and then they threw the occasional bomb down the sideline to maybe catch the defense off guard. Now, you had the excuse last year, I get it. You had an immobile Big Ben with two bum knees and a shot elbow in his throwing arm. He didn't have any zip behind his fastball to throw it those intermediate 10 to 15 yard routes down the middle of the field. I understand that. There's no excuse for this team, especially with a mobile quarterback who can evade sacks and pressure and scramble around. There is no reason why you can't have plays in that playbook and actually call them on game day where it requires receivers running down the middle of the field, intermediate routes, 10 to 15 yards down the field. I didn't see hardly, I don't think I saw one play where Trubisky attempted an intermediate middle of the field route um, other than to Pat Fryermuth on a couple of occasions. That's it. That is it. And it's just unacceptable because defenses know how the Steelers play. Like, it's one of the easiest offenses to read um, and to, you know, game study for. You know, they, they're so freaking predictable. And on top of that, the offensive line. Oh, my gosh. Najee Harris, 10 carries for, what, 26 yards. 10 carries, 26 yards. That offensive line, just like last year, could not open any holes for Najee. Couldn't open a single freaking hole. Not freaking one. Um, and then, yes, Trubisky only had one sack against him. You can say, oh, the offensive line, at least they did better in pass protection. Well, if you actually go back and watch that game from start to finish, you can easily see that on probably over half of Trubisky's dropbacks, even when he was throwing those little dink and dunk passes, he was getting pressured. And he was forced to roll out of the pocket and stuff like that. Um, it's just so frustrating to see the exact same thing of what they did wrong all last year and to see it again in a new year week one. Now, I get it, you know. On, I guess, a counterpoint of mine of what I said, you know, with a whole offseason – um, to work with a whole uh, training camp and preseason, develop chemistry. It still does take time. I understand that. It still does take time, even with uh, all those practices and preseason games. It still does take time for a young offensive line to develop. It'll still, it still takes time, um, if you're not a Tom Brady-type quarterback, to uh, get used to um, a new team, um, 
new receivers, new line, new play calling, all that stuff. It does take time. I get it. But the frustrating thing to me is that it's the same freaking shit from last year. Nothing has changed. That is the most disappointing part, is that nothing has changed. Didn't see any new wrinkles um, within the Steelers' offense. You know, they ran those freaking jet sweeps, you know, a couple times with Chase Claypool. That's the only way um, they found any success in running the ball on Sunday. Didn't see any throws down down the middle of the field, those 10 to 15-yard intermediate uh, passes middle of the field. Didn't see that at all. You didn't see any creative play besides for one little trick play. Uh, it was just a carbon freaking copy of last of last year. That's the most disappointing part, I have to say, about this Steelers offense. Like I said, they they are all new pieces relatively, especially at your most important position in quarterback. They could end up developing into a decent offense. Now, I know last episode, I said that this team, if they do progress um, and do develop good, they could uh, be a potential top 10 to top 12 offense. Yeah, that's probably one of my worst takes ever. That's not happening. Um, obviously, you can't get any worse. I mean, I guess you could. They didn't turn the ball over, which was good. But other than turning the ball over, you know, getting 13 first downs in basically five quarters, only throwing for 194 passing yards in five quarters, only 75 yards rushing the ball in five quarters, uh, you can't really get any worse than that. Um, so, could they improve? Yes. Will they improve on that? Probably. But I really put my foot in my mouth when I said they had the potential to be a top ten to twelve, top ten to top twelve offense. Uh, they, they're just <laughs> whether it's a play calling, whether it's the offensive line. You know, you know, it's not the skill position players. Whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a combination of a couple of those things. Uh, it's just it's just not looking good on offense, and I really don't know how much better they can improve. They can improve. I just don't think it's what I said last week, where they can improve into a top ten to twelve top twelve offense. Uh, that's just not going to happen. I don't believe. Not this year, anyway. Not this year. Um, the defense not to carry this team, and it's just even more frustrating whenever your best defensive player is now going to miss the first half of the year more than likely. He may come back before their bye against the Eagles at Philadelphia. Uh, we'll just wait to see on that, obviously. But this defense, they're going to have to carry the load. They're gonna, I don't think they're going to need five turnovers every game to win games. I don't think they're going to need um, you know, an extra point block to send it to overtime. They're not going to need a shanked field goal in overtime. But they're going to have to create plays every freaking game. They're going to have to be the difference maker in any way possible in every game leading into their bye where hopefully T.J. Watt comes back. So if that being said, uh, next week the Steelers play in their home opener against the New England Patriots on Sunday, 1 o'clock on CBS. Now, I'm going to make this relatively simple. I predict that the Steelers, they will end up beating New England and going 2-0 to start the year, which is absolutely necessary if they were going to survive the first half of the year. 
Uh, they will go 2-0, and that's simply because I think the Steelers, unlike last year, will be able to stop the New England Patriots' run game, which that is New England's whole game plan is running the ball. Mac Jones, uh, yeah, he's accurate. So what? He can't press the ball down the field. Kind of like the Steelers' offense, how they can't move the ball down the field through the air. Um, they they won't be able to do that. They're going to have to rely on their run game. As long as the Steelers stop the run, as long as they don't allow them to heavily control uh, time of possession, as long as they don't heavily control the line of scrimmage up front, uh, if the Steelers can somehow, some way, shut that run game down, they the Steelers will win that game. Uh, the Steelers, I think, although it's not going to look pretty on offense, uh, they will make enough plays necessary to win. Uh, by the way, I'm going to throw this in here. Uh, one of my uh, guarantee madness bets for the week. Pick the under on the New England Steeler game. Pick the under. These teams are not going to put up points. They're not. They're just. They're not built to. Uh, both are built on defense. It's just I believe the Steelers' defense is better than New England's defense. And the Steelers, although not by much, do have the better offense, in my opinion, just because they have so many very talented skill position players on that team to make the necessary plays. The Steelers do end up beating New England by a score of 16-13. to it will be a close game. It will be low scoring. Bet the under on that game. One of my Montreal Madness guarantees uh, of the week. And the Steelers, I believe, will indeed move to 2-0. And like I said a little bit earlier, that is absolutely necessary. That is absolutely key for the Steelers to beat New England uh, this coming Sunday. Improve the 2-0. Because they got games against the Bills. They got a game against... Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. They got games against Miami and Philadelphia where they are already coin flip games, at least with the uh, last two that I mentioned. They were already coin flip games um, with TJ Watt. Now, without TJ Watt, those games are going to be much harder um, to win, obviously. Uh, so they're going to have to beat the teams they know they can beat. They ha- and it starts this Sunday against New England. Uh, if 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 they can beat New England this week, I think they have a pretty good shot of weathering the storm without T.J. Watt. Because after this week, they go to Cleveland, um, at Cleveland on the road. But Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, I like the Steelers' odds in that game. Against the Jets, I like the Steelers' odds in that game too. Um... So hopefully, hopefully we could potentially see a 4-0 Steelers team going into their Week 5 matchup against Buffalo, where more than likely they're going to lose. But now going into Week 6, where earlier, last episode, I had them upsetting Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Even if they don't, they're still 4-2. They're still in a good spot uh, going into their games against the Dolphins and the Eagles. So it's very, very critical. I can't stress that enough. It's very critical that the Steelers come away with a win against New England. And then on top of that, 
coming away with wins against Cleveland and the Jets. They go 4-0 and hopefully weather the storm against the Bills, the Bucks, the Dolphins, and the Eagles going into the bye, getting T.J. Watt back, a healthy T.J. Watt back, and then making a run in the last half of the year to make the playoffs and to hopefully, for the first time in six years, win a playoff game and just really set this season as a catalyst of hope and optimism for the future, which more than likely will include Kenny Pickett starting next year in 2023. But it all starts this Sunday against New England at home. Let's hope for a win, Steelers fans. It will definitely go a long, long way into how this season is going to shape up for your Pittsburgh Steelers. There is nothing like playing in Happy Valley in front of 107,000. Starting in the morning, surfing this wide-out crowd. Welcome to Beaver Stadium. Words we love to hear. The best scene in the country. And welcome back to Happy Valley. Pre-game fireworks. 106,000 strong. All dressed in white for this annual display of support for the Nittany Lions. So moving on from the black and gold to the blue and white, the Penn State Nittany Lions travel to Auburn in their week three matchup after beating Ohio University last week in Beaver Stadium to move the 2-0 on the year. And you know, I'm just not really sure what to make of this Nittany Lion team. Uh, You know, they squeaked out a win against Purdue um, you know, although Clifford, you know, did lead the game-winning drive to ultimately win the game, he about threw it away too. You know, Clifford, he's just one of those guys where, you know, he can carry the load and, you know, make sure you win the games that you're supposed to. You know, um, you know, they should have beaten Purdue. They did by the skin of their teeth. You know, obviously, they should always beat teams like Ohio University. Um, but he's going to beat teams like Maryland, um, you know, Illinois, unlike I know last year, last year was an anomaly with that game. Uh, but nine times out of ten, you know, a, a Sean Clifford-led team is going to beat an Illinois team. They're going to beat Rutgers. They're going to beat the teams they should. It's the fact that they can't beat the teams that they need to beat in order to have a chance at a Big Ten title and ultimately have a shot into the college football playoff. They need to beat Ohio State. They need to beat Michigan. They need to beat Michigan State. They need to beat those teams in order to have any chance at a Big Ten championship and a berth into the college football playoff. Uh, And Sean Clifford is not that guy. He's just not. He is a, you know, he's, he's a low ceiling type of quarterback. He doesn't have it in him to beat those high-powered teams like I just mentioned. Um, You know, you would think he's a six-year player. So he's 23, 24 years old. He's playing against defenses who have players that are 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. He is three or four years older than the guys he's playing against. 
He should be right now carving these defenses up left and right if he was any good, if he had any, um, you know, real true potential um, to lead this Nittany Lion team to a Big Ten championship game, to a college football playoff game. He, you know, this would be the year he would do it. You would think, you know, a six-year player playing against 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. He just, he doesn't have it in him. He doesn't. Uh, you know, he was damn near around 50% completion against Purdue. Uh, you know, obviously, it's it's Ohio University last week. He was able to put up some good numbers, uh, just like his backup freshman Drew Aller did. Put up incredible numbers um, playing in the second half against Ohio. But again, that's Ohio. Sean Clifford, very low ceiling quarterback, can't get the job done. And, you know, he, he's just not going to beat those teams that they need to in order to have a successful year, which is winning a Big Ten championship and maybe squeak it into the uh, college football playoff. I think that's what fans of Penn State want to see. You know, they already got taste of a Big Ten championship win in 2016, uh, my senior year at Penn State, in fact. Uh, what a wild night that was after that game, but I digress. Uh, you know, we got a taste of that. We want more of that. You know, I think it's been 10 years after the sanctions now. There, you, don't, you can't have any more excuses um, with the sanctions that were handed out uh, 10 years ago. Um, that's, that's no excuse anymore. Uh, Franklin, he's been around this program for damn near a decade now. Uh, you know, if he was the guy... He should have built a big enough program by now to compete with the likes of Ohio State and Michigan on a consistent year-by-year basis. Uh, he's proven that he can't do that, yet he signed a 10-year deal worth roughly, what was it, $100 million or something like that. Like It was outrageous for a coach who was a honestly a one-year fluke because they had the best player in college football, which was Saquon Barkley. And they had a complimentary and good defense. Um, and they had a very clutch college football quarterback in Trace McSorley, um, along with uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Gusecki, um, NFL stars right now. Uh, they just had a really good team back in 2016. And But other than that, they, you know, in 2018, after their loss against Ohio State at home, when Penn State had a lead, I think a two-score lead, uh, midway through the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, they end up losing that game, and Franklin makes a quote after his press conference saying that you have to be elite like Ohio State if you want to do anything as far as championships is concerned. You you have to be elite, and he admitted that Penn State wasn't elite yet. Well, it's been four years since, and the uh, Nittany Lions still are not elite. Uh, they have too many holes, starting a quarterback, that's obvious, um, the offensive line, you know, they finally had their first uh, running back rush for over 100 yards in, I I think, since 2019 in the Cotton Bowl um, against, who was that? Memphis, yeah, against Memphis. That was Journey Brown, I think that was. Yeah, Journey Brown. That was the last time they had a 100-yard rusher. And uh, freshman Nick Singleton, um, Gatorade Player of the Year last year in high school, um, he rushed for 179 yards on just 10 carries. What an incredible 17.9 uh, yards uh, per rush average. Um, that was really good to see. Uh, but Drew Aller, 
here's the thing. Drew Aller is a five-star prospect, the number one overall rated quarterback in the state of Ohio, highly touted recruit coming out of Ohio. Uh, lots of teams wanted him. He ended up choosing... Hold on a second. There we go. He ended up choosing Penn State. And unlike our last five-star uh, prospect quarterback, Christian Hackenberg, uh, I believe he has that it factor uh, to, you know, make this Penn State team elite. Like James Franklin said four years ago, his ceiling is so much freaking higher than Clifford's that I would probably start Aller. I mean, I know it might sound like you're rushing the kid when there's no reason why he needs to be rushed. All right, well, then you're going to have another year where you're going to go 7-5, and 8-4, and four, but you're going to lose to uh, Ohio State. You're going to lo- lose to Michigan. Um, you know, they've always had trouble over the years with Michigan State. Uh, so, you, you know, going into the year um, with Sean Clifford as your quarterback, that you're not going to beat Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, you're just, the, the odds are so much stacked against them that they, yes, they have a chance, but it's a very slim chance with Sean Clifford that they beat those two teams. With Drew Aller, with his ceiling being as high as it is, with him being as talented of a quarterback that he is, uh, he has that potential to lead this Nittany Lion offense um, and team uh, to maybe beating Ohio State and or Michigan. Um, you know, not that not just this year, but for his entire tenure at Penn State. Um, that's who I would love to see at quarterback because at least they have a fighting chance. With Clifford, he doesn't give you that fighting chance. With Drew Aller, I know he's raw. I know he's young. But what do you got to lose? You're going to go 7-5, and 8-4 and four with Clifford. That's his ceiling, you know. Maybe if you get lucky, nine and three. They're not going ten and two, guys. They're not winning um, one. They're not, they're not beating even one of Ohio State, and Michigan, let alone beating them both this year. Why not just throw the kid in there, huh? Why not just throw the kid in there, give him a chance, see what he can do. But regardless, going into Auburn, uh, going into Auburn with Clifford as your quarterback, uh, I can see Penn State beating Auburn. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that much like last year where Penn State ended up, uh, beating them and beating them pretty convincingly. I know it was a close game throughout the whole game. Penn State pretty much dominated that game from start to finish. Um, I see the exact same thing happening this week as well. I don't think is I don't think Auburn is as good, um, as people might make them out to be. Uh, they're, you know, obviously they have, they have tough competition they have to compete with every year in the SEC with the likes of Alabama and Georgia and the rest. Um, so they have struggled the past couple years. Uh, but with that said, I, don't, I just don't think they're the same team that they were, you know, half a decade ago where they were competing with the likes of Alabama and Georgia and LSU and those types of teams. Um, they're just not that same team right now, which is why I think Penn State will Beat them this Saturday. I have this game going 31-23 to in Penn State's favor. Very close game going into the half. Hell, I I can even believe that Auburn might have a leak going into half. 
uh, maybe by a field goal or, or even a touchdown. But by the second half, I, I do think Penn State with this secondary um, and with this newly found running game, uh, they they will put points on the board. Uh, the defense will find a way to stop Auburn. You know, they only have a running t- running game. They're they're really not known for passing, uh, moving the ball down the field the past year or two. Uh, this is Penn State's game to lose. I think they start the season much like last year, um, 3-0. and But even if Penn State does lose uh, against Auburn next week, it's not like it's going to matter because Penn State wasn't going anywhere this year anyway. Uh, nowhere significant, I should say. Uh, their aspirations of, you know, going to a Big Ten championship game, um, you know, beating Ohio State or Michigan, uh, it's just not going to happen this year, which is why I want to see the freshman quarterback start this year. I want to see all her play. You know, they're not going to beat Ohio State and Michigan this year. Uh, Clifford doesn't have that in him. So why not just play that freshman quarterback and see what he can do, and then you have a better outlook of what your quarterback and his team around him will look like going into 2023. But nevertheless, I have Penn State beating Auburn and going 3-0 to start off their 2022 campaign. So before we end today's show, um, I would like to start a segment at the end of every episode I do where I do indeed give out fantasy tips and advice for all you listeners out there and where I give my Madness Lock of the Week. And like I said earlier in the show, uh, my Madness Lock of the Week bet is to pick the under for the Steelers-Patriots game. Uh, Both defenses are really good. Both offenses really suck. So put the two and two together and you're most likely going to win some money on that one. Now, as far as fantasy football is concerned, I just have one tip for you uh, this week, guys, and that is to not panic after your star players didn't perform well in week one. Uh, I know I'm in two leagues this year. Um, One's PPR, one's half PPR. Um, Both of them are keeper leagues. Uh, You know, I had some stud players didn't perform up to potential. Uh, Christian McCaffrey. Um, He didn't even give me 14 points. Um, You had Chris Godwin, Keenan Allen, uh, Najee Harris, um, all players I have on my rosters, and they didn't perform up the snuff. Uh, They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Um, In my one league, I lost. In my other league, I did end up winning by the skin of my teeth. I only won by a couple points. Um, But, however, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to start trying to sell my best players um, unless I have a very good offer for it. I mean, it has to be very, very, very good for me to sell uh, my top players, as I just mentioned. Um, So you guys should do the exact same thing. If you lost, if your stud players didn't perform well in week one, do not hit that panic button this early into the season. There are plenty of more games left to be played. Uh, Just eat your week one loss for now. Played out a couple weeks before you do anything drastic with your team. And yeah, I think that is going to be a wrap, guys, for this edition of Montreal Madness. As always, make sure to give the podcast a like and a follow on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, Make sure you're keeping up with all of my latest content on social media. And with that being said... Have a good, fun, and safe weekend, everybody.